I wrote six different TED Talks because the nature of the material, I really wanted to name the TED Talk um, Cannabis, 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 but you don't get to name your TED Talk either. (laughs) Um, But it's just called Cannabis, A Future Without Stigma. And I felt like the best thing I could do uh, without getting myself in trouble, without getting the FBA to like put a target on my back, I did like a one-woman show of, of creating a fictitious world of what it would be like as me playing myself, going to my doctor and asking about CBD as a first wave medicine for my symptoms of endocannabinoid deficiency, i.e. postpartum anxiety. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Ashley Reynolds of EMT CBD. Ashley, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I am so good, and I'm so excited. This is like a six-month booked in the making. So this is a hot show to have to get on. So well, we I hope it's, I think it's worth the wait. <laughs> I think we'll make it worth the time. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, you know, out here in the West Coast, just going to hold it down enjoying life. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well. And so I guess for the record, Ashley, your location? <laughs> I am in balmy Morseville, Vermont right now. <laughs> That's another East Coaster for the record. I, I was wondering if you're going to bring that. I tried to gloss over it and then I was like, I shouldn't have said <laughs> Colorado <laughs> West Coast. Like, <laughs> I thought you were prompting the, the invitation. I, I thought about it and I was like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't walk myself into this one. <laughs> we'll have to get a, a tally update. But I think I think East Coast has now taken the lead. But It's we'll, close. Yeah. check. <laughs> So Ashley, for our listeners that are unfamiliar with you, can you share a little bit about your background? Yeah. So my name is Ashley Reynolds, president co-founder of Elmer Mountain Therapeutics. We founded our business five years ago, which in the cannabis space feels like 50 years ago. Um, I came to the industry as a desperate postpartum mom looking for some wellness in a natural plant-based way. And uh, one of my patients back when I was practicing dental hygiene suggested CBD he was splitting his time between the East Coast, West Coast. And so he had already heard all about CBD back in 2016. And even being from Vermont, where cannabis is readily available, um, you know, I had never, I never knew what CBD was, like a lot of us, you know. And uh, so fast forward, here we are five years from now. And, you know, I found relief. I needed to see a woman, a mother, a professional that was advocating for the use of cannabis on a regular basis for postpartum anxiety and depression. And since I didn't find one, I created one and have inspired many women to really turn to plant-based medicine um, for postpartum anxiety, depression, insomnia, you name it. And here we are. So I've been able to do a TED Talk, which is insane. I don't even know, like, what is my life? Um, All about my journey into cannabis. I got to be on this show, which is also a dream come true. You guys are definitely pioneers to getting a window into what it's like being in this industry. So thank you so much for being that light. But yeah, here we are. That's me. So I'd love to start with just, you know, diving into the space, obviously, as a mom and kind of moving into cannabis. And even from the East Coast standpoint, there are a little more stigmas attached. So any hesitation to come in? What were some of those conversations early on when you, you know, you let people know you're moving into this industry. Yeah. I mean, here I am living in a tiny little town. I'm practicing dental hygiene in Stowe, Vermont, which like is like this big and, you know, was really nervous, obviously, because I didn't want to give up my license. I didn't want people to think I was, you know, going to hurt them or their children. Um, since I pretty much saw every family that lives in Stowe as a patient. And so, um, it was super nerve wracking, but because I 
found such relief in the plant. And because I was seeing so many struggling women and mothers, um, I just, I guess, just felt like if, if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it? And simultaneously, like hashtag me too was happening. And this huge embracement, embracing of female run businesses here in Vermont and in the Northeast, like all of that sort of coalesced at the moment of me wanting to start this business. Um, and I tell this story a lot, but one of the very first influential entrepreneurs that I met that was like, fucking go for it was Donna Carpenter because it's Vermont and she lives in Vermont. And if you don't know who Donna Carpenter is, she is the wife of the late Jake Burton of Burton Snowboards. And so like, it was really just like the universe being like, there's no fear here, just go for it. Um, and I think also like, for those of you that are women out there, when you get an idea in your head, like you really just like need to see it through to fruition. I'm definitely one of those women. And so I felt like I was unstoppable for a lot of reasons. But then I had people like Jane West, AC Braddock, who were simultaneously starting Women Grow and like hosting these incredible conferences, putting on YouTube these incredible inspirational chats just about how they're getting into the space and what they're seeing for women and actually lack thereof representation of women in the industry. And so, you know, I guess it's just right place, right time. You know, I just found all of these ways to be strong. And then, you know, the industry just took off. Like I started my business in May of 2017 and I quit my job um, nine months later. And like, I have two kids. I have a mortgage. Like I've been practicing dental hygiene for 15 years. And like friends were like, you're insane. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's now or never. Like, I just, I need to do this. And luckily it worked out. <laughs> I have a question. So like when you first got into the, into CBD and, and using it, were you worried that it might, might affect your, your cognition and kind of get high, if you will, from the oh, ingestion of CBD? Oh gosh, before CBD, I, somebody from Herba Buena, one of my friends was working out with them out in California, gave me like a one-to-one -one and was like, here, take this for your anxiety. And it helped a lot. Like one dose helped a lot. And then I, I was at work. And I was really feeling super anxious. And so I took three doses. And then I was like high at work, which <laughs> obviously like, thank God I can, you know, do my job on autopilot after practicing for so many years. But like, that was obviously not a desired effect. And therefore I was like, well, this is not going to be an option for the type of, you know, plant-based wellness that I'm going to go for. But, um, but yeah, I was definitely worried about it. And I was only taking it at night too, because I was worried about taking CBD during the day for that very reason. But yeah, for sure, that was a definite concern of mine and continues to be a concern of many of my customers still to this day, despite having all the education and everything on our website saying that that's not going to happen. You know, initially, you just never know how you're going to react. Have you noticed the like the questions about that? Have they kind of fallen off? Have they gotten less from like a volume perspective four years ago when you guys first started? No. Or is it just and, consistent? And it's it's more and it's more targeted. Now it's all moms, all postpartum moms or healthcare professionals, finally, who are like, you know, what do I need to know? You know, my state is going legal. What do I need to tell my patients? And so having that nerdy dental hygiene background that I do, like it's provided such a beautiful window into like the language that they want to understand and the type of processes that our body has that we need to know about to understand how to be better practitioners when our our clients are using cannabis. So I feel like that's a really sort of awesome little like secret weapon that I have about helping to continue dispelling all these stigmas and just wrongful education around cannabis. But no, it's the same exact questions because there's the level of consumers that are just getting started and just yeah. barely dipping their toe toes into can of curiosity. Like 
even despite being a longtime user myself, like I'm still like surprised by the plant. Like sometimes I'll eat an edible and I'm like, wow, that was really strong. I didn't know that <laughs> mother cannabis could do that to me anymore, you know? <laughs> She surprises me and I, I hope that she continues to surprise everybody, you know, and stay curious with the plant, you know. So I want to lead into the TED Talk. You know, how did that come about? And then kind of take us through like what that story is about, because I've got a couple of questions about that, because I really enjoyed you know, your, your presentation. I don't want to spoil anything. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was insane. That was like um, the people of TED read a tiny article about me representing women in the cannabis space um, and trying to bring as many women businesses into the industry as possible, which I was very successful at doing here. And um, when they called, I thought it was a joke. And I was like, no. And then I also was like, no, because I'm not ready to be that vulnerable. Like, obviously, like many of us, like I really respect Ted and I really respect the speakers that are on there and the subject matter and the ability to basically have this piece of work live forever. I mean, and like, that's a lot of pressure when I had just started my business. I was also simultaneously getting, um, well, it didn't happen, but Pureleaf was trying to acquire us. And so it was this like crazy whirlwind of like, we're flying to Chicago and like this opportunity is coming up and like, they want me to be this person if they buy me and I want to be this person if they don't buy me. And so it was this very weird time. And people were like, well, you're crazy if you don't do it. Like you just just come every day that like Ted calls and wants to um, have you do a talk. And so you get assigned a coach. So like spoiler alert to those that think it's just like all these amazing speakers, like the process from when you say yes to when you actually give the talk is like six months. Um, I wrote six different TED Talks because the nature of the material... I really wanted to name the TED Talk um, Cannabis, 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 but you don't get to name your TED Talk either. (laughs) Um, But it's just called Cannabis, A Future Without Stigma. And I felt like the best thing I could do uh, without getting myself in trouble, without getting the FDA to like put a target on my back, I did like a one-woman show of, of creating a fictitious world of what it would be like as me playing myself going to my doctor and asking about CBD as a first wave medicine for my symptoms of endocannabinoid deficiency, i.e. postpartum anxiety. And so the iteration that was finally accepted by Ted. Also, um, I spoke to an audience of 420 people, which like, I know That's it sounds cool. super dorky, but like <laughs> 420 is a lucky number of my shocker, but like it really is. Like it's, it comes up in my life a lot. And so spoke to 420 people, which as you can imagine, was like the largest crowd I'd ever spoken to. And took a shitload of CBD. <laughs> so like <laughs> put my feet on the floor and like walk myself out into that spotlight. And then the disappointing part is that all of the other people who gave TED Talks that night, their TED Talks were up on YouTube like instantly. And so like the momentum of what we had built for people to get to view it like was drastically muted because it, our my particular TED Talk, as you can imagine, was like one of 12 TED Talks about cannabis in the entire country, entire world at the time, went through this like four month long review process. So like all my other colleagues' heads come out and then mine doesn't come out for like many, many months after to the point where like I thought maybe it wasn't going to come out and it wasn't going to get published. Um, And I had kind of like started the process of like, at least I got to say it to 420 people, you know, I was like really like shit, like it was too controversial. Like they, they definitely don't support what I'm talking about. Luckily, if you guys read underneath the video, there's this beautiful paragraph 
disclaimer, that's, that Ted does not support what I talked about. Um, but that, you know, seek a doctor's attention if you want to, you know, cross-reference what I write or what I said. But um, yeah, that process is really wild because I felt like, you know, really like pulled back the veil of like what Ted was trying to do of like being, you know, innovative and groundbreaking. Like there's still, even around cannabis at that time, like there's still a lot of constraints about making sure it was like appropriate to put to the masses. And that was disappointing. I really have lawyers too. Probably. (laughs) I really appreciate you being vulnerable there because that's gotta be such a hard thing, right? You're so, you're so hyped up for this speak. You absolutely crush it. And then you're wondering, you're like, is this something I did? Is this something Ted did? Is it cannabis? Is it even more of like the niche based fact that like you're kind of shedding light on a topic that a lot of people are kind of uncomfortable to, to discuss. And I think that was the most important part is like, when I started watching your talk, I kind of thought one thing. And as you took us through the journey of like speaking to your doctor, I was like, wow, I was like, Ashley's doctor is like really forward. I was like, I'm shocked. I love that. I'm yes. shocked that, 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 that that's like the approach. And I was like, that's amazing. I was like, I wonder where her doctor is. Cause like, I don't like, because I know my wife wasn't offered those same conversations. Right. And then when you said this doesn't happen, I was like, ah, oh, she got me. Right. Like, she, me up and she got me. But I thought that was such an important part of it because I, was hopeful in that moment and then almost disappointed that we are so far behind. And there are so many challenges there, Ashley. And I want to kind of go back to you is like, from a doctor standpoint, that's one that's hard to accomplish, right? Not all doctors are comfortable prescribing that. And then from a female standpoint, that's kind of a ledge where if you're not consuming cannabis now, that's even another step forward to say, hey, like, this is something I'm not sure of, especially if it's your first time. So what's your feelings there? Oh man, I mean, that's just like the whole precipice of wanting to start this business as a whole. You know, I never really cared if I like sold CBD. Like that wasn't what I was particularly sold on. Just the, I guess, empowerment that you can be in the driver's seat about your healthcare decisions and that going to your doctor when you're in the most vulnerable state of, for me, have experiencing postpartum anxiety and depression, when you are a shell of yourself and you're not sleeping, and your whole metabolic system is out of whack because anandamide's not getting produced, or 2-AG is just like non-existent because you're in a stressful environment after having a baby, the last thing I want to do is go to a doctor who's like, well, like you're a criminal for trying this, and like, how dare you? Like, I'm calling DCF. Or I, like, thank God that was not my experience, but the more women I talk to the more horrific of a story people were fed about cannabis. And so, I mean, it doesn't end. The advocacy like doesn't end. I don't see it ever ending. But as a first time user, you know, it's still so daunting. Unfortunately, we have all these shitty brands um, from all the spectrums of cannabis that have entered the space. And it makes it so hard to discern. And all you want is to feel better. Um, or a little bit more like your old self. And it's really just unfair how um, just unregulated and all over the place it is. So um, I just hope that there continues to be many lights, um, like this show, like the women that I get to hang out with all the time, like what Rosie Matteo is doing, what Bianca Snyder is doing with High Society Mamas, you know, Mary Pryor is doing for um, social equity. Like these are people that, I don't really see as looking at it as like a paycheck for them. It's just like a sense of duty to continue being that voice. Um, Because you guys see like everyone was so excited last week. Like 
federal legalization is happening again. Look at this. It's amazing. It's all coming out. We're all going to get to be legit here. And then like the next day, it's like, well, no, actually it's not. And it's like, oh man, when is this going to end? But I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of went a little tired there. No, I mean, I think you're perfectly well said. And all those people are absolute trailblazers, right? Because the challenges that they face are maybe even more than some of the others, especially with some of the stigmas in there. And and for a first-time dad for me recently, one thing I learned about was kind of mom shame that I had no idea about and, and the challenges yeah. of that. And I can only imagine that if you are bringing that to your group, like your, your friendship group, and you're saying, hey, like, the doctor offered me pharmaceuticals because I'm not sleeping. And instead, I'm going with CBD. I can imagine if other people still have that stigma or unsure, now you've got like that social, that social dynamic pressure that probably plays an extra layer of challenge in the conversation. Oh, for sure. Like, I still won't smoke on camera. Like, you know, and people can hate if they want to hate, but like, I just don't feel comfortable. I haven't figured out a way. I barely do it in front of my children. Like, I feel like I just like haven't found that spot for myself where like, that is like one of my favorite modalities to enjoy. But like, there's so much stigma just around smoking. Yeah. yeah. Like just but a glass that. of wine, no problem, right? Like nobody. No does. problem. Right. Right. And like, I've been playing around. So I'm almost 40. And I think like a lot of people do when they get to middle age is they start to like really reevaluate just like all things. And I think the yeah. pandemic really highlighted this because I definitely became an alcoholic for probably like a good 14 months. Um, and so like now I'm like really dialing it back and I'm heavily using cannabis to help with that, you know, with curbing that. And I've been able to go like four, five, six, seven days without drinking any alcohol. And then I'll have like a beer or a glass of wine and I just get like so much effect of it now. And it makes me so much more tired that I'm like, I'm just sticking with cannabis. So I think we're going to see this like big wave of people that really just for like no other thing than just straight up, like it's better for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No one's exercising enough. No one's eating, you know, the right foods all the time. Like if there's one thing that you can like try to minimize, at least that's what my thought process has been lately is like, try cannabis, try to like drink less and like see what happens. And I feel amazing. <clears throat> I mean, you can go for a walk on cannabis. You can eat a bunch of healthy food on cannabis. Typically when you drink, you're not like, I should go yeah. for a nice walk. Like, right? <laughs> you know right? I mean? Oh, Unless totally. it's to the next bar. <laughs> right, right. So no, so back to your point, Brian, just about like the new user and just like women in general. Like I think that women are ready for this. And I think that whether we as a society give them permission to, or people like me just give a woman permission to every customer that places an order, I'm giving them a yes you know, good for you for taking control of your wellness and your decisions to provide wellness for yourself. Like, yeah, I mean, I just hope it never ends. I hope that the shaming that you mentioned, like these people that are getting into the Vermont rec market, there's a lot of awesome women. And the biggest question I get from them is like, how do you like build your skin up? Like, how do you deal with like being labeled like a canna mom? And for me, I wear that proudly, but for some, like they don't live in places like Vermont that embrace it. Like, I lived in a state where like I became like quote unquote like locally famous within like a couple moments of saying that I'm starting a cannabis company. Like I was on the news and like everybody watches the news in the state. And so like there was no hiding from it. Like I don't even know that I even got the choice to be like, whoa, 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 I want to be more private about this. Like it just kind of like chose me. And I think that that is what I'm seeing as the turn of the wheel is now women are like using Instagram, not even to sell shit, but just to like talk about being cannabis. That is brand new. That is only new as of like, really like the last six months that I've really seen, like they're not just like influencer canna 
personas. They're like, just straight up, I'm here to support and educate. And that's fucking awesome. Like that shows me the power of the plant can like supersede the like capital greed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think more importantly, I think that shows incremental progress, right? Because it it takes individuals like yourself and Rosie to continue to trailblaze forward so that others who maybe are a little more hesitant can lean on you guys and say, hey, look, like they've done it. Maybe I can try it because not everyone's comfortable being the first, but what more people are comfortable doing is recognizing that there are solutions outside of the the norm that can help people. Because as, as a parent, if you're not taking care of yourself, you for sure can't do a good job of taking care of of your child. I hear that. Oh, I hear that. And I feel like it's helped me like play Legos for 45 minutes with my five-year-old when like, I don't want to do that. Like, you know, for me, like motherhood has been such a road, rocky road because I had the career, then I had children and it was like really just insanity of like grieving my former self, but also falling in love with these two beings. And to see it, now is like, thank God I have my kids to ground me and keep me from becoming a workaholic because in this budding industry and becoming an entrepreneur, like if you've ever been bit by the bug, as you guys have with starting this podcast, like it is more fulfilling at times than the like mundane laundry, packing snacks, going to the bus stop. Like for me, I felt so much shame, not about my cannabis use, but I felt so much shame around like wanting to like have something outside of my home that was mine. And I think that that goes hand in hand with wellness. Women are so used to negotiating themselves out of self-care because we have to go to the bus stop and get the lunches and do this and do that and do this and do that. And like, it's not in our nature to like stop and be like, hmm, what is good for me today? Like that's like not in our vocabulary. And so I felt shame of like wanting to like, or becoming more fulfilled. And I think Rosie really highlights it in her own way with how much travel she does and like the compromise that comes with like being a mom, but like also being really ambitious. And then also being this like, quote unquote, like figurehead for women in cannabis. (laughs) It's like no pressure (laughs) at all. Um, But I think it's this amazing, delicate balance that I don't know that I could do without cannabis. Like I just like, if we can just like spend a moment praising Mother Cannabis for a hot second. Um, but like, I don't think I could do it without her. So final take home message on this specific topic for women out there who are struggling with the idea of kind of moving forward, where where should they start? What, what products, what concepts, what information should they start like looking into in order to help them make a better decision? Gosh, like what feels good? You know, is organic important to you? Is supporting a woman business important to you? is cheapest, affordable, important to you. You know, at this point, the industry is so established that really whatever wish list you have, you can find that brand. Um, I would say smaller is always better. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what these big nationals say. Like, I know it in skincare. I know it in going to my farmer's market. I know in my cannabis, like smaller is better. And these little producers... It's going to take everybody trying to um, support them to fight the biggies. So if you can. Um, And CBD is an awesome place. I fucking love full spectrum CBD because you can take, you know, more than 25 milligrams. That's our suggested dose. And like, if you don't want a psychoactive effect, great. But like, if you want to get a little more lifted and sort of like practice what a one-to-one would feel like, yeah, it's more expensive than smoking a joint, but you can definitely play around with a more rec side to using a full spectrum product. So I love people finding out that they can like get a little elevated, <laughs> you know, um, in the right scenario. And then 
you know, go if you can, like, don't go to your doctor. Sorry, guys. I know I come from the medical world, but like, until we get caught up, like start talking to your friends about it. Bring it up. Bring it up to your massage therapist. Bring it up to people. Like, you know, you guys will listen to the TED Talk, hopefully, but it really puts the focus on us as a society and as a consumer. And like, are we willing to be honest with ourselves? Are we willing to be honest with the people that we let, you know, be healers in our worlds? Like, start the dialogue. Um, because it's definitely not, it's not as, it's not as uh, talked about as we think, unless you are the conversation starter. So get talking. What do you think the best form factor to start with is? You like a tincture, a, a pill, or what, what, what would you suggest? Gosh, you know, I think honestly, like if you're never tried cannabis before, go with like a balm. Like who doesn't have a sore muscle? Who doesn't right. have a headache? <clears throat> who hasn't, you know, slept funny? Like try a really nice high quality balm and like seeing is believing. Like, I just love it when people are like, you know, I know that people say CBD is great or cannabis is good, but I rolled it on and like immediately my mouth felt better. And that's when I'm like, okay, if it does that on the outside and what do you think it can do on the inside? So, you know, everyone always is like, try a joint, try a tincture, try this, try a pill, but like, no dude, start topicals and um, let the plant speak for itself. I love that you shared that because I've given that to a lot of people who are very hesitant and their response to me goes, it worked. And I was like, well, what'd you think was going to happen? Like, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of like perplexed back. Like I'm kind of confused. Like, were you anticipating a different result? Like this was a solution for your problem. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of how those work. And they're like, actually, I don't really know what I thought. Like I heard bad things about this. So I wasn't sure. And I, I think that goes into the problem. But I think starting with a form factor that they're, they're comfortable with. And, and I yeah. think that's an easy start. Because I think the edibles have their own issues where everyone associates the brownie concept from college. The tinctures are kind of weird because we haven't consumed them. And then when it gets into like the pill form, I think people start associating maybe pharmaceutical based. Yeah. So I think starting Agreed. with the, the bomb is like a, a really good one. So I want to continue on this topic. Let's talk about testing. I know it's really important to you. And I know with your website, you've got all the CLAs online. So is that something that was an important feature when, when starting your brand? Oh, for sure. I mean, the first brand that I ever discovered as a kind of curious, you know, desperate mom was Bluebird. And they, at the time, were some of, you know, the only people that had CBD selling online that actually had lab results. And although it was like super primitive and it was really just coming down to like, is it compliant or is it not? you know, definitely sparked my interest. And then growing up in Vermont, like the commitment to quality and like made in Vermont is just like a gold standard and an arbiter of quality in and of itself. We know what that means when we say it's made in Vermont. Goes above and beyond what organic can certify. And, you know, Vermont has its own certifications for what organic is in our own state because we're just so forward thinking about what we think is right and good to consume and put in our bodies and on our bodies. So I was bringing all of that to it. And I also felt like if this is something that I'm going to be ingesting on the regular, like I am a customer. Like the whole time I was starting the company, like I was making products for me and like then (laughs) replicating them and understanding that there's millions of women just like me. And so I wanted a product that I felt was going to be safe and also like wasn't going to be full of mold or contaminants or heavy metals. Like I wanted to be able to prove that. And at the time, you know, Yes, that was on some other brands' minds that were coming out in Vermont and in the Northeast, but like not with as much of a fine tooth comb as I felt like I was being. Because I also, again, keep coming back to like being from this dental world, like you have to have your shit together. Like reading journals and like having a non biased 
uh, article that's published that's like changing the science around dentistry and how we treat patients. Like that's like how I grew up and like learned how to be in dentistry. And so I brought that idea of like, how can I... People are going to try to poke so many holes in my theories about this plant. Like don't give them any places to, to see your weaknesses. And if we can show the quality, if we can back up our extraction method is like being another arbiter of quality that is then... Um, reinforced by our labs. And then if we have nothing to hide, why aren't we just posting them? And like, that wasn't a like, oh my God, we're going to beat the competition by posting. I just thought it was the right thing to do. And then like, I referenced it all the time when I gave talks about like, this is what this means. Like, this is the number that you want to pay attention to. This is the number that you want to pay attention to. Like, you know, just so people knew what they were looking at and then becoming just a more conscious consumer. Because for me, like it has to come down to safety. recreation. I know, you know, I look at Guy from um, Papa and Barkley a lot. Like he doesn't like that where I agree. Like it's all cannabis, you know, it's all, it's all wellness. It's all, um, I don't think it's like recreational or medical. I think it's all. Um, And if we're really touting it as something that is for all things, it should be of the highest quality and you shouldn't be hiding it. And then like I started seeing larger companies that like you couldn't find their COAs or they buried them in their website. And then mm-hmm. that just became fuel of like, well, this is what we're doing differently. Like, yeah, like we don't, we aren't required to do any of this. It's more expensive. It's a pain in the ass. It's more time consuming. I have to break the locks. I have to send things out of state. Like all of it, it sucks, but it's so important. So important. Yeah, especially if people are using it as like a medicine. I think that holding it to kind of the similar standards as like a pharmaceutical is so, so important to like establishing that trust with the, with the consumers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even on the smaller producers, like I don't want to get like unwoke and like un, you know, bespoke about my products, but like there needs to be some, some level of standard. Like there really does. I'm so sad to see what's happening in Maine where it's like the wreck is now fighting the, you know, putting up these like horrible, like slander campaigns to the medical market in Maine because the testing protocols are not as stringent. Like that is bullshit. Like the products and the quality have to speak for themselves, whether you're medical or whether you're rec, like do the right thing and test your product and make sure they're clean. Like who do you think said fault in that kind of like battle between the two different parties? I'm still at a point right now in the cannabis space where like there's plenty of times that I could have just like, you know, canceled somebody, you know, particularly a white man in this industry. I've plenty of times already, um, unfortunately. But like I don't think we're in an industry, we're in a place where our industry where like diplomacy is not dead. Like we can't be throwing stones in glass houses. Like we need to help each other to legitimize this industry as a whole because everybody's looking for reasons to not make it legitimate. And so if we're just like becoming this like dirty, messy, dramatic, like he said, she said, like it's going to take us down. That's also common in a lot of states, honestly, that they have like an established medical program that doesn't have as stringent of testing. And then all of a sudden they go to the a recreational market I think a lot of it has to do with like psychologically speaking, right? And again, going back to like trying to prevent showing any weakness, if you will, like Mm -hmm. having a recreational market, meaning like it's available to everyone and there's no kind of like gate into it, right? Like if you want to go buy something at a medical dispensary, you have to go talk to a doctor, get a medical Mm -hmm. card for a specific reason, right? So it's kind of regulated in terms of the entry point With with the recreational market. It's like anyone can go in there. So they have to kind of, try to, at least from a public persona perspective, create this idea that, hey, we're doing everything we can to protect the general public just because there is that stigma still. And, and so that's really common, honestly, in like Colorado, the same kind of, it's still existing in Colorado, right? Like the, the products in medical dispensaries do not have the same testing that products in the recreational dispensary go. 
it's by like, design, don't you think? Yeah. Don't you think it's by design to make it us is. be divisive? Like, it's gross. But we shouldn't be arguing over what is safe, right? Like, I think both I sides of the market can be pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Like, this is safe. This is not safe. Like, that's not a gray area, in my opinion. So it's disappointing to know that. But sure, obviously, there's different rules in different sections. And again, I just try to be the late. Like, fuck the, the standards and like, fuck the organic stamp. If you notice, like, my bottle does not have that on it because I don't believe in it. I believe that we go above and beyond what our standing standard protocols are. And if people eventually want to change the policy to be like EMT, great. But like, we're not changing. I love it. I love it. So talk to it. us about when you started your brand and the delicate balance between funding and maybe looking for outside funding. And one of the challenges of cannabis is the, the limited ability for access to capital. So can you kind of explain on that? Yeah. So my husband and I were supposed to go on a honeymoon. And instead I was like, I don't want to start a cannabis company. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so we didn't go on that honeymoon, but um, that was like the first startup. And I knew that I needed a really beautiful logo and label. Um, I knew I needed to, it to appeal to as many women as possible who would put it on their kitchen counter and then have, a, have it be a conversation starter to their girlfriends when they were over for wine or play group or whatever. And I knew that I wanted to have an t- internal and external. So I knew I needed to have money for product development. And so, yeah, we partnered with a Colorado-based company and who had great standards um, and was willing to send all different shapes and size bottles from Colorado to Vermont for us to get up and running. So when we started in 2017, the hemp program had only been in existence for like nine months. And there was really only one other company that I know of that was like growing and like getting it up off the ground from the farming standpoint. No products, just agriculture. So we skipped that step because we were able to have a partner that would send us product that we were essentially white labeling. So that helped instantly generate revenue, which again, I'd never started a business before, come from a dental background, had no idea like that brand is the king of the supply chain. And so 2017, we like became the women thing like right off the bat. We had fancy label. I was doing all this these talks in restaurants after hours here in, in Stowe. And so I was like gaining this like, local energy and celebrity, but nobody could buy my product anywhere because it wasn't on shelves at Whole Foods or anything like that. So they had to come physically come to the event that I was like by word of mouth promoting that I was going to be at. I would have a little bit of product. I would talk for like half an hour and then sell all the product. And so like we did that for like many months until I was like, this is stupid. We need to sell it. So like someone else needs to be selling it. And I was too afraid to have a website because I heard horror stories of people's assets getting frozen and websites getting taken down. And I was like, fuck that. I'm just going to focus on retail and brick and mortar. And so all of this was funded through cash flow. All of that was bootstrapped. Um, and then I won a pitch competition in Vermont that was like... Um, some of the like best and brightest uh, businesses pooled all their money. So um, like Seventh Generation and Magic Hat and folks that started these companies that are legacy businesses in Vermont pooled a b- little bit of money together and it was just money. There was no strings attached. And so I won that and put that into transitioning our product from Colorado to Vermont-based product because what was happening simultaneously in Vermont is like all of these amazing legacy growers were growing hemp. They didn't know how to process it. They definitely didn't know how to sell half a brand. And they were like, you're doing your part. You seem really good at that. We'll do our part that we're really good at. And so 
we built this network of really small farmers, built this network of teeny tiny extraction facilities, which there was like two in the state at the time and made that transition with that money. So again, didn't have any investors. And then um, we do have one angel investor that owns 5% of the company that we used uh, right in 2018 when things were just going nuts. And that was just all to help scale. Like we had this incredible demand pretty much no competition. And they helped us really capitalize on that. But these are people who luckily have become very wealthy and understand um, what it's like to be a young entrepreneur and not want to give up a lot of your company. But I did sit at a lot of tables. um, And, you know, people didn't get it when I pitched them that this is a brand that's a woman forward cannabis brand. And like, you know, they just looked at me like I had 10 heads. Why are you alienating 50% of the population? Did, don't you know that men are the leading consumers of cannabis? And I was like, yes, I do know all those things. But I think that women are sort of this untapped resource um, that we need to advocate for and then provide these amazing products for. And so, yeah, this one particular gentleman, he is like a godfather here of business in Vermont. And um, I remember when I brought my kids to the meeting because I couldn't find childcare and I accidentally bumped into him with the stroller and he turns around and I, of course I knew who he was. He had no idea who I was. And he was like, you brought your kids to the meeting. And I was like, well, yeah, they're like part of the brand. And he was like, you're joking. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> That's like the first 30 seconds of meeting. I was like, this is not going to go well. He still wanted to invest in the company, but he wanted 40% of the company. I was like, that's not going to happen. And so now here we are like, you know, bruised and bloody over the last two years of the pandemic. And, you know, thankfully, gosh, SBA and and all of the like federal bailout, like were recognized, you know, cannabis was recognized. And thank God, because we went from like pretty much all brick and mortar retail, a little bit of e-com to like, you know, 90% e-com. And so that was like a crazy transition of like learning how to like have a digital footprint. Again, being like this teeny, teeny, tiny company and like trying to scale all of that. And so, you know, luckily the SBA recognized us and we were able to kind of fund through that, but we pared way down. You know, I got rid of my sales staff. I got rid of like all my demoers and like we've really stripped way down to being really lean and really mean. And I got to say, like, of course I didn't want a pandemic, but the ability to go through that whirlwind, which like boom and bust cannabis, like, there's no time to be still. There's no time to say no. There's no time to like really reflect on like what your crazy life is. Thank God we've like had this time to just like stop and like really look at what we've built. Now we have data that we analyze. Now we have, you know, trends that we analyze. And now we're looking at this like wide open market of like, where did we really want to specialize? And like, it's amazing that we are having those types of conversations that like we have something to jump off of. And I know there's a lot of unfortunate brands that didn't, weren't able to weather that storm, but that was never going to be, there was never going to be a market that was going to be thousands of brands big enough, you know, to hold, hold them all. So I feel really lucky, but I think what the real secret sauce is, is that we haven't changed who we want to be and who we are. And like, I could have easily sold my morals on many occasions. I could have sold it to Cure Relief and then they just would have killed the brand. And then that wouldn't exist. And maybe, you know, Ashley Reynolds, the brand wouldn't even exist. The TED Talk certainly wouldn't have existed, you know? And now we see this like big change in the industry of like, yeah, these big players are in here. They're not going away and they are going to be successful. But it's almost like the rebel force is like all of these boutique producers and micro producers that are really creating a name for themselves and really telling the consumer, like, 
don't support those guys. Like they're going to be successful in their own right. But like, we don't have to, we don't have to support them. Just like we buy locally for farms or for our vegetables and our fruit. Like the same beautiful thing is happening in cannabis. And I think you're really going to see the brand sugar off now. Like whoever is really going to be strong and, and be able to stand the test of time, like we're going to see those breakout brands happen. I agree. I think it's uh, it's cool because like the, I compare it to kind of like the, <laughs> the micro brew industry, right? Like you had mm-hmm. for the longest time, these like mainstay beer companies that just dominated it. And then all of a sudden there's this slow churn where people realized that they could go buy hops and kind of homebrew. And that led to like micro brews being formed, right? And all of that kind of like more locally produced uh, consumables, if you will. And it's cool because cannabis kind of just skipped that whole phase with uh, major companies dominating the whole market. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how the whole pie is divided amongst all the players right now. Oh, I agree. And like until like things get sorted out nationally from a recreational standpoint, like I also feel so blessed that I have access to a national market. And like everybody thinks that sales are going to like drop off the wayside for CBD and like Rec is just going to take over. But like my customers, my consumers are like really happy at the wellness that they've achieved with the use of CBD and the rest of their healthy lifestyle that like I hope they smoke a joint on 420 and I hope that they smoke a joint, you know, on their birthday and like, you know, on the weekends when they're home. But like a majority of my customers, like they're really happy with where they're at. And I feel like we're just going to like operate under the radar. Like there's going to be so much noise for the wreck and so much commotion and drama and all of the expense and just like who's going out of business and who's merging and who's this and who's that. And like, at least for here in Vermont, like so much more propaganda is being put out to the cannabis space that's like, here are all the companies that this one company owns. Just so you know, yes, these are all different brand names, but like, here's who's all behind it. And I think that, you know, that's such a like, talk about stigma. Like there's yep. stigma. <laughs> like, Ashley, since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? That it's easy that everyone's just like making insane amounts of money. Um, when we see these deals, like all stock and like, you know, potential. So like, yeah, it looks like this industry is like gangbusters and thriving, but it's crazy expensive <laughs> at every step of the way. Uh, right down to like putting your money into the bank even costs more. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, that's like the biggest, that it's easy and that you make lots of money. <laughs> Yeah, if all of us were. <laughs> Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? Don't plant your feet, fuck business plans, and don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. I like all of that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, prediction time. <laughs> Ashley. What year do you think we will see cannabis use on an intake form for medical forms? God, it takes forever. Probably 10 years, minimum 10 years. And probably you'll only see them like on like a maybe dental form, maybe. So 2032? Yeah. Kellen? Yeah, I'm going to say maybe even longer, right? Like you're talking like there has to be like a fundamental change within the medical educational process in the Western world, right? Like we've, we've mentioned this a lot on our show and uh, it's funny, it just keeps coming up, but like the endocannabinoid system is not taught in medical school, right? Mm-hmm. So like we have to have a fundamental change within how we make doctors, right? From a society perspective. And I mean, those that takes time, right? So I think a generation probably, so like 20, 25 years. Yeah. 
you see Gen Z right now, kids that are just now in, in college and just starting medical school, when they're like 40, 50 after they've had their careers, I think then that's when, and they have like the <clears throat> political acumen and political power, if you will, to actually facilitate those kind of changes. Because right now, all those changes are coming from people um, who are much older than us and they're used to kind of um, the pot will kill you and it's the devil's lettuce and all those kind of things. So that's my my prediction is so maybe... What? 2045. Thank you. I was looking for a year. I was just rambling. Like we're going to need a year for the record, sir. What do you think, Ryan? You know, that's a, that's a probably a good guess, which is really unfortunate. And then like, as you were saying, like governor Ricketts, who said, if you legalize cannabis, it will kill your kids. Like let's say they do put it on the form. Everyone's going to feel uncomfortable filling it out. Especially if there's the stigmas on it. So, I mean, to get to that point, we've got so much work to do from a stigma standpoint. And then I think even if you put it on a form, you're going to upset so many older people yeah. that need to like move on because they're going to be like, are you kidding me? Like this is accepted now, right? Some people have, some of the older generation has some challenges still with some of the new way thinkings. Uh, they still mm-hmm. are used to maybe the past. And I think something like this would be a very big slap in their face just because I think it's it's too in front of them. So, I mean, 2045 is just so far away, but but maybe that that could be a good guess. And I think, Maybe I'll split the difference 2038 and just hope that I uh, play the prices right, you know, correctly. And you're forgetting, like, first we have to acknowledge that this plant even exists. (laughs) So there's that. And then, (laughs) and then there already is a like underground network of healers and physicians and PAs that I get to have privilege and work with. And even they, they feel comfortable telling me that they write medical cards, but they're not telling colleagues they write medical cards. No fucking way. No. no, I'm still kind of like a little hesitant to even tell my doctor or to ask him because like I just don't want to have to have that conversation and then and then ultimately be disappointed, right? Because like yeah. if he's not aware of these things, how is he able to make good recommendations for him? Especially when I tell him, hey, like, you know, has that actually been prescribing me for my anxiety? I don't really take that anymore. I take this other thing instead and it makes me feel better and I don't feel cloudy. And he'd be like, well, what? Like, I'm Or you hesitant. accidentally... Or you accidentally overprescribe. This is my biggest thing. You accidentally can overprescribe someone because we know that cannabis slows down the metabolism of any compound in our system because that's what it does. It slows down that P450 liver enzyme. So if you prescribe someone Xanax 10 milligrams, they think they're getting 10 milligrams, that's staying in their system longer and it's, the effect is amplified if they're using cannabis. They don't know that. The doctor doesn't know that. Everybody's right. in the dark about this. And then ultimately, the patient is getting overprescribed or overtreated and potentially put it in a dangerous state. All because we didn't have a simple conversation is, do you use weed? Do you smoke weed? The devil's lettuce? Do, do you use that? No? Okay. Yes? All right. Take that of but this. They're, they're sure <laughs> to ask you how many drinks you have like a day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So options, you're like, mm, and even smoking, how many cigarettes a day are you smoking? Yeah. Like we're getting real detailed on those, but no, I mean, we're we're just a really, really long way off. And at least right now, I feel like there's more comfort and acceptance in just the small, small practitioner talking to their patient. Yeah. And like, there's going to be more of those. But like, I would love to see a world where I go to a dental conference, where we're talking about what, you know, if you see, you know, certain manifestations in the mouth, then maybe it is going to mean that they're smoking out of a vape and a bong and then suggest that they use a tincture or a capsule or an edible. Like, let's have that conversation, not shaming them. Like, let's actually help them through the use, their use of cannabis. But like, 
Yeah. I mean, I've tried to speak at dental conferences and, you know, I think I'm pretty like, you know, accredited to be able to speak in front of people, but it's all about abuse. Any sort of cannabis, like conversations that are happening at conferences right now, it's all about how do you spot abuse. And if that's where we're at right now in 2022, we got a long fucking way to go. I agree. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. So Ashley, for those who want to get in touch, they want to learn more and they want to see some of your products, where can they find you? EMT CBD. That's me across all all the platforms. So easy to find. And check out the TED Talk. Check out the TED Talk. It's awesome. Um, It is. Sorry I gave it away for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to bring that up. So thanks so much for your time, Ashley. Thank you so much, you guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.